Rain, Mr. Edward Pryor, Mr. Halsey Ricardo, Mr. Reginald T. Blomfield, Mr. W. R. Letherby, Mr. J. H. Pollen, Mr. Stephen Webb, and Mr. T. G. Jackson. They are a the order of names being that in which the several essays are arranged. This small but valuable contribution to the subject of design and manufacture of furniture is full of interest, and points out the defects of our present system, amongst other regrets. One of the writers Mr. Halsey Ricardo complains, that the transient tenure that most of us have in our dwellings, and the absorbing nature of the struggle that most of us have to make to win the necessary provisions of life, prevent our encouraging the manufacture of well-wrought furniture. We mean to outgrow our houses our lease expires after so many years, and then we shall want an entirely different class of furniture consequently we purchase articles that have only sufficient life in them to last the brief period of our occupation, and are content to abide by the want of appropriateness or beauty, in the clear intention of some day surrounding ourselves with objects that shall be joys to us for the remainder of our life. Many other societies, guilds, and art schools have been established with more or less success, with the view of improving the design and manufacture of furniture, and providing suitable models for our young wood carvers to copy. The Ellesmere Cabinet Illustrated was one of the productions of the Home Arts and Industries Association, founded by the late Lady Marian Alford in 1883, a well-known connoisseur and art patron. It will be seen that this is virtually a Jacobean design. In the earlier chapters of this book, it has been observed that as architecture became a settled art or science, it was accompanied by a corresponding development in the design of the room and its furniture, under, as it were, one impulse of design, and this appropriate concord may be said to have obtained in England until nearly the middle of the present century, when, after the artificial Greek style in furniture and woodwork which had been attempted by Wilkins, Soane, and other contemporary architects, had fallen into disfavor. There was first a reaction, and then an interregnum, as has been noticed in the previous chapter. The Great Exhibition marked a fresh departure, and quickened, as we have seen, industrial enterprise in this country, and though, upon the whole, good results have been produced by the impetus given by these international competitions, they have not been exempt from unfavorable accompaniments. One of these was the eager desire for novelty, without the necessary judgment to discriminate between good and bad. For a time, nothing satisfied the purchaser of so-called artistic products, whether of decorative furniture, carpets, curtains or merely ornamental articles, unless the design was new. The natural result was the production either of heavy and ugly, or flimsy and inappropriate furniture, which has been condemned by every writer on the subject. In some of the designs selected from the exhibits of 51 this desire to leave the beaten track of conventionality will be evident and for a considerable time after the exhibition there is to be seen in our designs, the result of too many opportunities for imitation, acting upon minds insufficiently trained to exercise careful judgment and selection, the custom of appropriate and harmonious treatment of interior decorations and suitable furniture, seems to have been in a great measure abandoned during the present century, owing perhaps to the indifference of architects of the time to this subsidiary but necessary portion of their work or perhaps to a desire for economy, which preferred the cheapness of painted and artificially grained pine wood, with decorative effects produced by wallpapers, to the more solid but expensive though less showy wood paneling, architectural moldings, well-made panel doors and chimney pieces, which one finds, down to quite the end of the last century, 
even in houses of moderate rentals. Furniture therefore became independent and, beginning to account herself an art, transgressed her limits, and, grew to the conceit that it could stand by itself, and, as well as its betters, went away of its own, the interiors, handed over from the builder, as it were, in blank, are filled up from the upholsterer's store, the curiosity shop, and the auction room, while a large contribution from the conservatory or the nearest florist gives the finishing touch to a mixture, which characterizes the present taste for furnishing a boudoir or a drawing room, their island of course, in very many cases an individuality gained by the omnium gatherum of such a mode of furnishing, the cabinet which reminds its owner of a tour in Italy, the quaint school from Tangier, and the embroidered piano cover from Spain, are to those who travel, pleasant souvenirs, as are also the presents from friends when they have taste and judgment, the screens and flower stands, and the photographs, which are reminiscences of the forms and faces separated from us by distance or death. The test of the whole question of such an arrangement of furniture in our living rooms, is the amount of judgment and discretion displayed, to favorable examples of the present fashion, representing the interior of the saloon and drawing room at Sandringham House, are here reproduced. Illustration, the saloon at Sandringham House, from a photo by Bedford Lemmy Rand Company by permission of H.R.H. the Prince of Wales. Illustration, the drawing room at Sandringham House. From a photo by Bedford Lemmy Rand Company by permission of H.R.H. the Prince of Wales, there is at the present time an ambition on the part of many well-to-do persons to imitate the effect produced in houses of old families where, for generations, valuable and memorable articles of decorative furniture have been accumulated, just as pictures, plate and china have been preserved, and failing the inheritance of such household gods, it is the practice to acquire, or as the modern term goes, to collect, old furniture of different styles and periods, until the room becomes incongruous and overcrowded, an evidence of the wealth, rather than of the taste, of the owner, as it frequently happens that such collections are made very hastily, and in the brief intervals of a busy commercial or political life, the selections are not the best or most suitable, and where so much is required in a short space of time. It becomes impossible to devote a sufficient sum of money to procure a really valuable specimen of the kind desired, in its place an effective and low-priced reproduction of an old pattern with all the faults inseparable from such conditions is added to the conglomeration of articles requiring attention, and taking up space. The limited accommodation of houses built on ground which is too valuable to allow spacious halls and large apartments, makes this want of discretion and judgment the more objectionable. There can be no doubt that want of care and restraint in the selection of furniture, by the purchasing public, affects its character, both as to design and workmanship. These are some of the faults in the modern style of furnishing, which have been pointed out by recent writers and lecturers on the subject. In Hints on Household Taste, Mr. Eastlake has scolded us severely for running after novelties and fashions, instead of cultivating suitability and simplicity in the selection and ordering of our furniture, and he has contrasted descriptions and drawings of well-designed and constructed pieces of furniture of the Jacobean period with those of this century's productions. Call, Robert E. D. Eyes, in Decoration and Furniture of Town Houses, has published designs which are both simple and economical, with regard to space and money, while suitable to the specified purpose of the furniture or fitment. This revival in taste which has been not inappropriately termed, the new renaissance, has produced many excellent results, 
and several well-known architects and designers in the foremost rank of art, amongst whom the late Mr. Street, R.A., Messrs. Norman Shaw, R.A., Waterhouse, R.A., Elma Tadema, R.A., T.G. Jackson, A.R.A., W. Burgess, Thomas Cutler, E.W. Godwin, S. Webb, and many others, have devoted a considerable amount of attention to the design of furniture. The ruling principle in the majority of these designs has been to avoid over-ornamentation, and pretension to display, and to produce good solid work, in hard, durable, and on account of the increased labor expensive woods, or, when economy is required, in light soft woods, painted or enameled, some manufacturing firms, whom it would be invidious to name, and whose high reputation renders them independent of any recommendation, have adopted this principle, and, as a result, there is now no difficulty in obtaining well-designed and soundly constructed furniture, which is simple, and pretentious, and worth the price charged for it, and fortunately for the complete success of the new teaching, useful and appropriate furniture meets with a fierce competition from more showy and ornate productions, made to sell rather than to last, furniture which seems to have upon it the stamp of our three years agreement, or seven years lease, of this it may be said, speaking not only from an artistic, but from a moral and humane standpoint, it is made so cheaply, that it seems a pity it is made at all, the disadvantages, inseparable from our present state of society, which we have noticed as prejudicial to English design and workmanship, and which check the production of really satisfactory furniture, are also to be observed in other countries, and as the English, and English-speaking people, are probably the largest purchasers of foreign manufacturers. These disadvantages act and react on the furniture of different nations. In France, the cabinet maker has ever excelled in the production of ornamental furniture, and by constant reference to older specimens in the museums and palaces of his country, he is far better acquainted with what may be called the traditions of his craft than his English brother. Within the styles of François Premier, of Henri Du, and the Three Louis are classic and in the beautiful chasing and finishing of the mounts which ornament the best Mublaise de Luxe, it is almost impossible to surpass his best efforts, provided the requisite price be paid, but this amounts in many cases to such considerable sums of money as would seem incredible to those who have but little knowledge of the subject. As a simple instance, the copy of the Bureau du Louvre, described in Chapter VI, in the Hertford House Collection, cost the late Sir Richard Wallace a sum of L4.000, as, however, in France, and in countries which import French furniture, there are many who desire to have the effect of this beautiful but expensive furniture, but cannot afford to spend several thousand pounds in the decoration of a single room. The industrious and ingenious Frenchman manufactures, to meet this demand, vast quantities of furniture which affects, without attaining, the merits of the better made and more highly finished articles, in Holland, Belgium, and in Germany. As has already been pointed out, the manufacture of ornamental oak furniture, on the lines of the Renaissance models, still prevails, and such furniture is largely imported into this country. Italian carved furniture of modern times has been already noticed, and in the selections made from the 1851 exhibition, some productions of different countries have been illustrated, which tend to show that, speaking generally, the furniture most suitable for display is produced abroad while none can excel English cabinet makers in the production of useful furniture and woodwork, when it is the result of design and handicraft, and fettered by the detrimental, 
but to popular, condition that the article when finished shall appear to be more costly really than it is, the illustration of a carved frame in the Rococo style of Chippendale, with a Chinaman in a canopy, represents an important school of wood carving which has been developed in Munich, and in the Kunstgewerberin, or Workman's Exhibition, in that city. The Bavarians have a very similar arrangement to that of the Arts and Crafts Exhibition Society of this country, of which mention has already been made. Each article is labeled with the name of the designer and maker. In conclusion, it seems evident that, with all the faults and shortcomings of this latter part of the 19th century and no doubt they are many, both of commission and omission still, speaking generally, there is no lack of men with ability to design, and no want of well-trained patient craftsmen to produce furniture which shall equal the finest examples of the Renaissance and Jacobean periods, with the improved means of intercommunication between England and her colonies, and with the chief industrial centers of Europe united for the purposes of commerce, the whole civilized world island as it were, one kingdom, merchants and manufacturers can select the best and most suitable materials, can obtain photographs or drawings of the most distant examples, or copies of the most expensive designs, while the public art libraries of London, and Paris, contain valuable works of reference, which are easily accessible to the student or to the workman. It is very pleasant to bear testimony to the courtesy and assistance which the student or workman invariably receives from those who are in charge of our public reference libraries. There needs, however, an important condition to be taken into account, good work, requiring educated thought to design, and skilled labor to produce must be paid for at a very different rate to the furniture of machine moldings, stamped ornament, and other numerous and inexpensive substitutes for handwork, which our present civilization has enabled our manufacturers to produce, and which, for the present, seems to find favor with the multitude. It has been well said that, decorated or sumptuous furniture is not merely furniture that is expensive to buy, but that which has been elaborated with much thought, knowledge, and skill. Such furniture cannot be cheap certainly, but the real cost is sometimes borne by the artist who produces, rather than by the man who may happen to buy it. It is often forgotten that the price paid is that of the lives and sustenance of the workers and their families. Conclusion. A point has now been reached at which our task must be brought to its natural conclusion, for although many collectors, and others interested in the subject, have invited the writer's attention to numerous descriptions and examples from an examination of which much information could, without doubt, be obtained. Still, the exigencies of a busy life, and the limits of a single volume of moderate dimensions, forbid the attempt to add to a story which, it is feared, may perhaps have already overtaxed the reader's patience, as has already been stated in the preface. This book is not intended to be a guide to, collecting, or, furnishing, nevertheless, it is possible that, in the course of recording some of the changes which have taken place in designs and fashions, and of bringing into notice, here and there, the opinions of those who have thought and written upon the subject, some indirect assistance may have been given in both these directions, if this should be the case, and if an increased interest has been thereby excited in the surroundings of the home, or in some of those art collections the work of bygone years which form part of our national property, the writer's aim and object will have been attained and his humble efforts amply rewarded.